basically flew from Russia to the directly to this refugee camp turned up with like nothing I had like I was thinking maybe I could report on it maybe I'll just help like I've got my limbs my hands and my legs like I can maybe build I can you know cook whatever whatever they need I'll do something but I really turned up with just a camera and maybe like one pair of jeans and a top <laughs> so <laughs> underprepared from cheese the house this is creative first the show about the spark of creative leaders and how they discover their passions, what inspires their work ethic, and the journey of getting paid to do what they love the most. I'm your host, Kelsey Cochran, and this week our guest is Charlotte Maxwell. She's actually our first international guest, which I was really excited about, and she's based in London. Uh, Charlotte has always had a knack for storytelling and capturing really intimate journeys of the people that she meets, um, from studying in Edinburgh to working for a pop star in Russia and volunteering on refugee camps in Central Europe. She's really always had photojournalism in her world, and she's been using it as she travels to all these different places and does all these different things. Um, she now is a freelance photojournalist in London and is also the co-founder of Timepiece, which connects refugees um, mainly in Europe with locals to build bonds between individuals that move across the world uh, looking for better lives. Um, her portfolio is full of really intimate and genuine portraits and also incredible stories of the people that she's met um, as she started her career. And I can't wait for you to hear a little bit about her story as well. So let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome back. This week I have an awesome guest. Her name is Charlotte Maxwell. She's based in the UK in London. Um, this is my first international guest, so I'm really excited to have you join me today. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so we have a lot to talk about because you have done a lot of work and I am excited to really dive straight into it, but I want to start a little bit with your background. You've been a freelancer like in the filmmaking and narrative industry for about two to three years. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we'll start then. So I'm obviously personally a little bit less familiar and less accustomed to the film industry in the UK. And if you wouldn't mind, can you kind of walk me through a little bit of, you know, how you got into the industry and where you studied, um, if you even yeah. studied media and film um, or kind of just how you found your passion for it? Wow. Okay. I know question. that's like a lot of questions. <laughs> I, no, I'll, I'll go. If I miss some, if I've forgotten one of the questions, then, you know, feel free to ask me again. I'll try and answer as best I can. I basically, so my, lots of people in my family um, were and are journalists or like filmmakers, photographers, translate, you know, they've all been kind of working in that field. Mm -hmm. um, like my uncle was working for the BBC, my father, my lots of, family members actually died doing journalism as well. Oh um, so there was a lot to so growing up. I was kind of surrounded by journalists, but it wasn't something that I thought I'd do. It wasn't, you know, I was like, you know, maybe I'll become a journalist, but it, you know, when you're really young, you don't think about, you know, you want to be a vet or a spy or whatever yeah. <laughs> when you're a kid. So I didn't think about it. Um, and then when I was 18 years old, I was thinking, shall I go to film school? Or do I want to go to university and do the kind of like more, you know, kind of not generic, but like the more sort of gen do a general subject and mm -hmm. go to a university where I'll meet people 
from loads of different backgrounds who are studying millions of different things. Um, and maybe that would inspire me to figure out what I want to do. So I left home and I went to Edinburgh. So I went to Edinburgh University and I ended up studying Chinese, actually. Really? Um, and it was, a, yeah, it was a bit of a whim. I, <laughs> I was asked, like, what subject do you want to choose? And in about five minutes, I decided um, I was going to do Chinese okay. because I wanted to go to China. <laughs> so um, around 18, 19 years old, I kind of knew I wanted to tell people stories. And I was very, very curious child growing up. And I, I basically always had a camera on me from the age of seven. And I used to make like, you know, home movies, but I would film everything. I'm pretty sure my whole life is on camera at this point. Oh my God. Um, so like, even like my mom was doing the cooking, I'd be filming her and like filming everything close up. And I was a bit of a strange child. Um, but I would force my friends to get involved. And I set up like a film production company at the age of nine. Um, so it was kind of like in the air. Yeah. And then and when I was 18, 19, obviously I was studying Chinese, but I was thinking kind of the end game would be, you know, make some money, try and buy proper film equipment, proper cameras and things, and then see where that takes me. But I, you know, part of me was also like, maybe I'm at a disadvantage because people have gone to film school and done like media studies and all this stuff. And I didn't have Instagram at that time. I had no social media. So yeah, so when I finished Chinese, I was like, now where can I go make money, learn a different language, you know, kind of study a different culture, but also be a filmmaker yeah. um, and buy all my camera equipment. And so I decided to move to Russia and I lived okay. there. And that's where I started my journalism, basically, in Moscow. <laughs> so, okay, so were you doing more of like video journalism then? So no, then I started as doing photojournalism. Okay. But I was kind of you know, the whole time taking pictures of mainly people rather than landscapes. I was always really, because the camera kind of became a way of getting to know people and it's kind of having an into someone's life, you know, that you wouldn't otherwise have. And so I started, you know, taking pictures, doing a lot of street photography. And then the other thing is that like, I would fly between Russia, England, and this, this refugee camp in Calais because I decided to volunteer and my time. And so I was between the camp, the refugee camp, Russia and England. And in that time, I was constantly going to, this might answer one of your questions. I was constantly going to a lot of journalists, filmmakers, photographers, events, talks, seminars, you know, um, trying to educate myself like alone. So, you know, watching all documentaries, watching all of the talks by filmmakers, you know, I was doing a lot of that because I pro maybe because deep down I felt at a disadvantage because I hadn't gone to a film school and I didn't know what I was doing, but I met so many like-minded people and kind of in that way, a lot of what the film industry is about is actually networking. And I hate that word network, network, networking, sorry. And I hate like the sort of, it feels very disingenuine going okay. up to people and like pretending to be friends just to get somewhere. And yeah. that's not what I mean by networking. It's more just like, you know, going to events where you know you'll meet people who will probably inspire you. You might end up working together. It's just kind of interesting. You'll learn something. And it's a, about subjects that you will probably have an interest in, right? So like current affairs and things. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up about networking because I feel like in the film industry, but also in other industries, like they always say, it's about who you know, you know, like if you want to accelerate, if you want to succeed, you got to tap into your network. Like who do you know that can get you to the next step? Which I think is a, a 
somewhat true statement, but I also feel like if you think about it in such a way, that's like, how can this person help me accelerate my career? Like you lose the actual value of building the relationship, which is, I feel like exactly what you're saying about how you were going to these events, but you weren't necessarily trying to network. You were trying to find people that inspired you and who maybe you would even work with, um, in the future. Otherwise, it feels kind of vacuous, a lot of yeah. the relationships you form. And, and you don't, it, it will just make you sad eventually, you know. You, you're happier if you're around people who, um, like I said, inspire you, but also, you know, and motivate you and, um, you. and you feel like you can also give something back. It's like a two-way system, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of how I see it. And again, like I said before, you know, I didn't want to go to film school because I also wanted to be surrounded by people who do like geography or neuroscience or whatever else, another subject. And then I might be like, you know what? I'm going to go make a film about, I can't think of something, <laughs> but like, and maybe I'll make a historical document and, um, you know, something to do with the historical period. And I'll meet someone who's, you know, involved in like studying whatever period I'm going to be filming. And like, you know, you just meet people who... Yeah who know a lot about their subject and you can ask them questions. And it's just, I find it, it's, it's, you create a richer life, not, not monetary terms, not like to do money, yeah. but richer and a fuller, in, fuller. A fuller life. Exactly. Yeah. So when did you decide to go back to the UK or back to London and get into the film industry in that city? And, and was that hard? So it actually was, when I, when I was in Russia, I was working for a pop star up there um, to make money in order to pay for my equipment. And once I bought all my camera stuff, I was, I mean, I, it was around 2015, 2016. And it was like the refugee crisis. You know, there's always been refugees and there's always been migration, but it kind of flared up um, around that period, around that time. And I saw what was happening, was getting really upset about it, but kind of hated that I wasn't doing anything. You know, I was just like moaning and being like, this is terrible, but I felt like I had to do something. So I basically flew from Russia to this, directly to this refugee camp, turned up with like nothing. I had like, a ca- I was thinking maybe I could report on it. Maybe I'll just help. Like I've got my limbs, my hands and my legs. Like I can maybe build, I can, you know, cook, whatever, whatever they need, I'll do something. But I really turned up with just a camera and maybe like one pair of jeans and a top. <laughs> so <laughs> underprepared, almost like I was a bit of a joke. But anyway, and then, you know, I started documenting all of the like friends I'd made. Like I do that anyway, when I was in the UK or in Russia, I just kind of like take pictures of my mates. And I started doing that in the camp, obviously with the permission of the person because yeah. they're in a kind of precarious, difficult situation. Yeah. And then built like really good friendships. And then the, the press were coming out a lot and they were like, oh, you know, sometimes they were asking, you know, do you have any pictures that we can use for this particular story? And, you know, obviously I'd check what the story is first because I didn't want to be like giving images to stories that were the classic line of basically demonizing refugees and migrants. Yeah. So that's kind of how I started. And then I had to come back to London for various reasons, see family and things and mm-hmm. friends. But because I'd done a bit of journalism in Russia, a bit in France, I was like, okay, maybe this, maybe this is what I actually want to do. It was kind of in like a natural progression into it, but um I mean, everyone will say it's so obvious your whole family is all your family are journalists. But for me, it didn't feel that way. It felt a bit more like on my own terms. And it was when uh, the government in the, in the UK were basically saying no to a lot of child refugees coming into the country that I decided I'm going to see if like journalism can actually make a real difference to people's lives. So I went and interviewed like hundreds of refugee minors in France who were trying to get over and who were kind of abandoned by the UK government. 
And I kind of got the testimonies. I, I got them all to like, you know, say what they wanted, what's happening to them. I reported on it for the independent newspaper. And, you know, from that, like it had a bit of an impact on how they changed the law in the UK and how they let people come in. So, you know, it was part of a bigger picture, of course. There were loads of people involved in like telling the story, but I, I suddenly started seeing that like it can make a difference. So when I was back in London, I started you know, like I said, going to a lot more events, talking to a lot more people in the same field. And honestly, just like practicing with my camera all the time, just taking pictures, sending kind of photo series and stories to magazines and newspapers and online and like, you know, anyone out there, basically like, yeah. you know, do you want this story? I think it's really important to tell this, you know, this side of things. And eventually, you know, some people got back to me, some people didn't, but yeah and then i started varying more towards film so filmmaking rather than yeah so how do you think like these past experiences of studying chinese moving Mm -hmm. to russia doing photojournalism working for a pop star then showing up at this refugee camp and documenting friends and the people that were there how did all of those experiences impact your creative style overall right it's got an interesting question Well, I can say first it impacted me emotionally quite a lot. I found it really quite trying, quite difficult because, you know, I was going from the sort of like opulent lifestyle of the rich and famous in Russia to Mm -hmm. a refugee camp where people have nothing, but they are so kind and so generous and giving everything. And then back to my normal life back in London. And so first it impacted me, like I said, emotionally mentally I found it so hard I was quite anxious and like sometimes I was quite depressed and and I think for me what really got me through a lot of that and actually probably was the reason why I went out to these places in the first you know in the first place is because of the camera you know it's kind of like it feels like protection Mm -hmm. against the world so and 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 but it also it's not just protection it's also the key into other people's lives like I said before so I think, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's changed. It's very, it varies. So when I was in Russia, like I said, it was more street photography and in a way that was kind of a way to like make friends. And so you can see, I hope you can tell in my portraits and things that like they're more intimate Mm -hmm. than just um, street photography, which is from like very, very far away. And it's more about like the kind of infrastructure of the city and taking buildings and things. Um, mine were more kind of up close and I feel a bit more personal and I got to talking to a lot of the people that I photographed and I would always ask them like, can I publish it online, etc. And I didn't even speak Russian. Like I basically <laughs> learned Russian through this process. And, um, and I, I made loads of friends, um, just by, you know, by doing that. And then I was taking loads of pictures of Uber drivers. I had to take Ubers everywhere. They were very yeah. cheap out there and it was just easier to get around because I uh-huh. lived on the outskirts of the city. And I started realizing that all the Uber drivers had so many fascinating stories. So <laughs> I started basically documenting Uber drivers around the world because I would travel around the world with this pop star for a bit. And every time I took an Uber, I would just get to know them and ask if I could take their portrait. So at the beginning, I guess my, my photography was more about like, you know, just my surroundings and just meeting complete randomers from all over the world. And then it veered more into photojournalism, you know, more current affairsy, trying to actually have a greater impact, doing stories that I really care about, you know, like migration, women's issues. And that's changed when I was in France, I guess, and then went back to London. 
And yeah, now that's what most I'm now making, I'm producing films and yeah, they're all topics that I believe are important stories to tell. And I'm unfortunately doing less street photography. Um, I miss it so much because it is therapeutic and it's relaxing and it's kind of fun. And, you know, you meet people that way, you know, although a lot of my photography and my subjects are, I hate saying the word subjects actually, because I feel like it's a two-way system, you know, like the person in front of the camera is just as much about this whole image as you are as the the camera woman. But yeah, I feel basically that, what I want to do with some of my images is kind of make them look a little bit surrealist. You know, they're not, I wanted to like, especially the stuff in Russia, I wanted to look kind of like magical and mm. in some ways, what is the word? I'm, I can't remember the word I'm looking for, but um, kind of made up, you know, I didn't want uh-huh. it to look, I don't know. I just, I like the idea of like fantasy and stuff without, you know, over editing and things. And I wouldn't like, you know, necessarily always ask people to stand a certain way or like move here and there. But um I think maybe it's just what I take photos of. I find there's a kind of weird, surreal element to it. And I think that's more enjoyable for the person who's looking at the photos. They're looking like at the colors, at the expression on the person's face. Then they'll maybe read the story. You know, I'm more interested in, like you were saying, like telling real stories, real people that hopefully will have an impact along the way. Yeah, that's kind of like the vibe I was getting. So that does make sense. I want to bring up something that is really in line with maybe what you want to pursue in the future because you're the co-founder and and director of the timepiece community Mm -hmm. and i went to their page so i kind of have a general understanding of what the purpose of it is um but i'd like to hear from you like what is the initiative and why were you inspired to get involved with it or to help create it so it started like so i came up with the idea when i was in the refugee camp because what was happening was i would be making really good friends mm-hmm. and they'd be calling me up when they you know finally reached the uk from france to the uk or from serbia to the uk i mean i was working with refugees in different parts of the world um, and then when they got to you know great britain which it's not so great um, they realized that actually it's really hard you know they'd call me and they'd be like celebrating when they arrived but then you know a few weeks later they'd call again and be like i don't understand how anything works i don't know anyone can you introduce me to people mm-hmm. uh, i'm quite lonely you know one of my friends was like oh i smile at people in the tube and they think i'm crazy and like it was really difficult and i was not always in london you know because i was mm-hmm. traveling a lot for work and things so i couldn't help so i was thinking okay i'll just call some of my local some of the locals like my mates and i'll see if they can help out you know but then i was thinking like why isn't there something that connects refugees and locals in a non kind of charitable way, which isn't patronizing or condescending about like, you know, poor refugee help them. It was more about like, you know, why isn't there something a bit like Tinder, you know, but yeah. um, you know, I know that's a dating app, but for like friendships. And then I was thinking there has to be some kind of purpose. And a lot of migrants, you know, they have a lot of skills. They come from places where they've, they've got a whole life behind them and they have so much to offer society. And because of like how the media portrays migrants in this country, you know, there's a real disconnect with the reality, especially for local people who don't really understand what they're going through. And they might feel threatened because, you know, mm-hmm. if they, they come from poor communities and they're not enough jobs, of course, they'll listen to the media and they'll be terrified. So it was a way of like, you know, I think that you only care about someone or a subject when it impacts you. And that is human nature. And I don't think it's necessarily, it sounds selfish, but I think it's a normal human instinct. And, and I only cared about the refugee crisis because my friends were refugees. 
you know, yeah. and otherwise I would have cared in a, on a superficial level, but I wouldn't have been so you know involved. So I was like, how can I connect people so that they start caring about someone who comes from a completely different part of the world, very different issues, but also how can I give somebody who has to start their life from scratch all over again, how can I give them an opportunity to maybe like find a good job or like meet really nice people and not be so alone and lonely in the UK. And so I found two amazing women, my co-founders, Alice and Alex, and I kind of convinced them. I was like, guys, we have to make an app and we have to build a community mm-hmm. on whatever platform we can so that we connect people based on skills and interests so that they can exchange those and, and, you know, going both ways, locals and refugees offering something. And they came on board and, you know, we sort of grew really quickly because we started, um, I started co-producing podcasts, name how refugees are seen in the media. Um, And obviously that was my area of kind of, that was my field. Like I understood the media a bit more because I'd been working in it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to use my contacts there to tell better and more realistic stories about what these people go through um so it was kind of there were like two branches of it it was the image of what it means to be a refugee but also how do we actually help people in real life um and so you know we built we've hosted events where we bring people together we play games together we offer food a refugee will cook and we've built like a really big community in london which has been amazing and we've had like we have refugees from literally all parts of the world from as far away as fiji they were messaging us you know, how can we meet people here? You know, is the app available here? And like, and you know, w- what kind of platform is it? Who are these people? And you know, even like um, Skyscanner, I don't know if you've heard of Skyscanner, yes. um, but they were like, oh, do you want us to advertise your, your, your sort of organization yeah. service? And we were thinking, oh my God, this is going to be hectic because if we've got already, we had like hundreds of emails coming in every day of people being like, I want to help. I want to do this. And I think what made us a bit different to a lot of, charities in London for example I mean they are very important charities I'm not you know dismissing them and I don't want to like underestimate the power of a charity they do a lot of good however I think what made us different and what encouraged people to like get in touch is because we were constantly thinking if you create something that's more positive and actually gives people an opportunity to help without changing their jobs you know leaving their jobs going to a refugee camp Mm -hmm. if they can't travel like not everyone is privileged not everyone could do that you know so if we give someone an easy access an easy way in to helping someone and in a like happier way rather than being like telling sob stories and like you know kind of using poverty porn as a way of you know attracting sort of empathy then maybe it might be effective and I think it was I think a lot of people like okay here's an organization which seems really optimistic about the future and I can be part of that you know so I think that's kind of what helped people get involved Um, how has your time there your work there also affected your photojournalism or your film like I know that you are very interested in in the topics of refugees and helping them and and maybe someday you'll want to create a passion project documentary about their stories or or maybe someone's story which I think would be awesome and I definitely Mm -hmm. think that you should but has there been challenges in managing this organization and also trying to stay creative in your film work and in your photojournalism work have you been able to overcome any of those challenges Mm, well um so i feel like i have two answers for that the first one is because i was meeting people from literally all parts of the globe i mean they were coming from iraq syria afghanistan eritrea 
Ethiopia, like I would be listening to their stories and hearing them out. And, you know, I'd be speaking to like hundreds of people a day at one point when I was like living in the camp. And it would just inspire me to be like, oh, I really want to, you know, I want to visit your country. And, and they'd be telling me these stories. And I was like, why is no one telling these stories? They're really lovely, incredibly interesting ones. Like, you know, so much of what, so many documentaries focus on quite like dark subjects, you know, because I think they think that's what people will be interested in. You know, they, they have like clickbaity titles, um, murder, drama, like all this stuff. And I was like, you know, actually I find it just as effective and just as interesting. And probably the fact that it's more challenging to tell a happier story and make it interesting and make people want to watch it is probably like more challenging. But like if you do it and you do it right, it could be amazing, you know, and yeah, it could absolutely. have a great impact. So, you know, I'd be hearing these really amazing things from war-torn countries. And I was like, okay, you know what? I want to go there. I want to visit. And so it kind of it inspired me to look elsewhere because I was always looking at stories more like near me in my kind of close vicinity and like thinking about my friends and, you know, oh, I've got one friend over there who's got a really, really interesting story. I want to tell it, you know, and if they let me in. And this way it was kind of, yeah, I was just expanding my view and being like, actually, you know what, why don't I go to the opposite end of the world and see if I can work, collaborate even with locals and you know and kind of immerse myself as much as I can in that culture and that place um so yeah I guess inspired me in that sense but the other question or the other answer I wanted to give was it is really challenging to do both so I try and like work on timepiece and organize events and things and obviously now with the pandemic and everything has changed yeah, <laughs> in both work in all the work that I'm doing for everyone but um yeah, you know, everything's online now, but you know, there's a lot, still a lot of work to do when you like uh, the director of, a, of an organization and balancing that with my f- more filmmaking and photography, you know, still doing a bit of photography, but more like filming. That's been really challenging, like really, really hard. And um, for some reason, and you know, we don't need to go into the psychology of like why I do this, yeah. but for some reason, like I'm really attracted to quite tricky subjects to cover. So um, they could be either quite controversial or ethically sort of ambiguous. You know, like I'm making a film about elite snipers and cops in Brazil and I'm like humanizing the police when, you know, they're pretty much hated by everyone. And like everyone sees them as monsters around the world as, you know, you're in the States, you probably know, like it's been all over the news. And, you know, a lot of people think that's very controversial. And and so at the moment, most of my, the films, I'm, I'm doing a film about people who were kidnapped in the, in the Amazon, in Colombia. I'm doing one in France about a girl who's basically struggling with endometriosis. And so there's like a few projects I'm working on. And they're all quite like dark, heavy subjects. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's funny because I'm a bit of a contradiction because I'm like, I really want to make stories that are happy and positive. Yeah. And stuff. But I've just ended up in the last few years doing like really intense subjects. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But I think eventually what I would like to do is go to these places where my friends come from because they've all invited me to like stay with their families in like, you know, wherever, Syria, Venezuela, Russia, I want to go back to Russia and I want to tell really positive stories. I would like to do that inspiring stories at one point, but you know, it takes years. Yeah, <laughs> so. of course. Well, I'm sure you'll find a way to put a positive spin on maybe some of the darker subjects or darker topics that you're working on right now, or maybe you can find ways to incorporate positive aspects into the broader 
darker theme. Right. Well, well, that's actually, that's exactly it. Like, I mean, yes, they are dark, but the whole point is we're trying to tell the other side of the story, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, that these, like, for example, the cops, they have families, they have some kind of like, they feel remorse, they feel empathy, they feel suffering and pain. And, you know, at the end of the day, when there's a huge gang facing you, and, you know, you know, who do you call when you need help? You call the police and they, then, you know, they need to be there and they need to do it. And it's a very different context, Brazil, to the UK and, and other parts of the globe. You know, that the violence there is much higher. The stakes are higher. So, yeah, it's a completely different ballgame. And I think sometimes we forget it's very qu- we're very quick to judge people, you know, and obviously I'm I'm sl- I'm like a bit of a pacifist, actually. And I don't like obviously I don't like war and I don't I don't like I hate guns. All of that stuff stresses me out, but I find it, it's not really appropriate for me as this kind of like white middle-class British girl to go over somewhere and be like, this is actually how you should be doing it. What I'd rather do is go there and try and see their perspective as much as I can. Obviously I can't, I'll never really know what it feels like to be them, but you know, do my best to try to see their side of things. And if I feel like there is more to it, and that, you know, if we start, <clears throat> if we start managing to empathize with someone we thought we'd never be able to before, then maybe the world would, you know, there'd be a bit more like peace and tranquility around the world because people through understanding and through better communication, we, it leads to better things ultimately. That's what I believe. So yeah, changing the narrative is really important to me. Well, I'm so excited for those films to release. You'll have to let me know and I can share them with everyone um, when they're finished. I know you're working on so many at one time. It's probably like juggling. It's exhausting. It's really (laughs) hard to juggle. I actually, I thank God I work with someone, basically I work with my friends and they are amazing filmmakers and I wouldn't be able to do it without them. And so hopefully we're trying to get this one to to be like a series for Netflix. So I'll let you know once it's out, <laughs> um, but it's exciting, tricky, but exciting. exciting. Yeah. Well, um, this has been awesome so far. I know like we're almost up on time, but there's one final question that I have that I like to ask everyone. What is your proudest moment in your career to this day? Like if you could look back from where you started to where you are. Gosh, that's a really difficult question. I, I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, this one year or this one day or like this one particular event was the most amazing thing ever, you know, and it's changed my life. You know, these pivotal moments, they, they don't really happen often for me. It tends to be like a buildup of a multitude of different things that make me feel like, okay, you know, that made me, that taught me something in this area that taught me something else. Like little by little, I feel like, I mean, I have a long way to go and it's still the beginning of my career so I feel like I'm you know I don't like touch wood I hope I, I kind of don't want to have like terrifying moments which change my life and like I hope I don't have to learn from like horrifying experiences but um I think proudest moments really maybe the one I mentioned before about the the kids who are refugees who were kind of left on the streets when I did that report there was I felt a real sense of purpose and I did another one for Time magazine um, in Paris about child refugees and, you know, what kind of what had happened to people and how they were sort of left um, and forgotten, not like, well, yeah, basically forgotten. And I did a piece on that. And I know that that changed perspectives and people got in touch. They were like, oh, okay, you know what? 
now I really want to do something. And it kind of motivated people to get involved with the refugee crisis and, and start paying more attention. I knew some people from the House of Lords in the UK who watched the video I made and saw my work and they have an impact in the policies that our government, the policies our government create. So I was very, very proud of that because they reopened it and they let loads of child refugees in. That's amazing. And yeah, that was great. And I guess like, I don't, I don't often feel like really proud. I just feel that bubble of excitement inside me when I know I've met someone really special and they are opening, like they're willing to tell me their story. Like it's such a privilege to have someone open up to you and share their experience with you. And so when that happens, it's, yeah, it's more of excitement. And I felt that across South America a lot of the time because yeah, of the films I'm doing over there. And um, I hope that comes across in my work with even the next Uber driver that I interview. <laughs> the excitement, I really want it to like translate through my work. So yeah. That's awesome. I don't um, know if that answers the question. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's, no, that is absolutely perfect. Uh, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your evenings. I know you're like hours ahead of me um, <laughs> to chat. And I am really excited to share your story with everyone, um, with our audience. So oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been yeah, great. <laughs> All right, guys, that wraps it up. Um, I hope you guys love Charlotte. She is awesome. We'll keep an eye out for her work and hopefully her Netflix series. We'll stay tuned for that, but <laughs> have a great week guys. Bye. Bye.